Our merciful God, we come to you grateful that you know us, that you love us, that you call us to yourself. And we thank you for the chance to gather for Sunday school this morning. We pray for the Baas while they're at home, that you would be uh, with Isaac and Masha. We pray especially that you'd be with Pastor Isaac, that he could uh, serve uh, his family, help take care of Masha and Leo and Solo. Uh, And we pray that you would bless our time as we, we look into a tough but important topic. Grant us the grace to do it well, the honesty to seek your word, and the, uh, the ability to surrender to you in all things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, you know, why are we here? Uh, obviously, it's Sunday school. <laughs> and uh, we're here now because uh, Leo came uh, early. I thought I had about four more weeks to think about this series before I started, but uh, that's okay. And... Um, what we're going to do is for the next five weeks or so, um, Lord willing, we are going to uh, talk about uh, Doug Wilson and uh, both as an individual, but more importantly, uh, someone who is central to a, a movement that is currently going on in the church. And that's why the, the, the outline is called the Moscow Theology. I'll explain that. Um, but... As we jump in, I readily acknowledge that there are a lot in our church who (laughs) have no idea uh, who Doug Wilson is, and so they're wondering why we're taking the time to talk about him. That's okay. On the other hand, there are some others, both in our church and in uh, other churches, who are listening uh, to him and and others within that circle, reading books and blogs, and uh, there's an influence there that we want to talk about. Uh, in fact, in the last year, I've talked to quite a few uh, pastors in our denomination, the OPC, who have said, have you guys seen this? But suddenly out of nowhere, everybody's talking about Doug Wilson again. And people around are like, yeah, I'm seeing that too. So I know we're not the only ones. And so from the outset, uh, let me just state a few things. Um, for those who are totally new to this discussion, first, Doug Wilson has no affiliation whatsoever with our denomination, the OPC or any of the denominations with whom we have uh, relationships and fellowship. Uh, We are a part uh, of a a group called NAPARC, North American uh, Presbyterian and Reformed uh, Churches, uh, which is about 13 denominations, Reformed denominations, Presbyterian denominations in the United States and Canada. We are part of something called uh, the IRC, uh, the International Conference of Reformed Churches, or the ICRC, which is about 35 denominations uh, globally. Um, And we also have just individual relationships with other Reformed uh, denominations. And and Doug Wilson and the church he pastors and the denomination he serves are not involved with any of these. And so we want to be careful. This isn't, um, we're not related in that sense. Um, so I'm not, I'm not promoting him or his teachings. And so the question is, well, why are we talking about him? Well, as I said, increasingly, I and others have heard a lot of people, mostly young families, uh, reading, uh, listening, and following him. And uh, there's, there's an appeal there. And he's identified uh, some uh, concerns, some weaknesses, and uh, issues that people are eager for biblical answers about. And, and so I get that. And, and he is very prolific. I don't know if the man sleeps, 
Um, he, he writes books and blogs and, and things and does conferences like on a level that is just truly mind boggling. Uh, he very media savvy, um, very good at, at getting things out there uh, in, in the age of the internet. And, and so he has a large and a growing audience uh, among those in Reformed churches. And so somewhat in the vein of Brett Talks that we did last year, I want to take some time to talk about the movement and share some concerns. So that's kind of why we're here and what we're doing. I'm going to try to be civil uh, and yet at the same time honest about concerns. Uh, a lot of today is just going to be background, um, and so there won't be too much controversial today. But I, I want this, this series to be a time of discussion, questions. So I want people to feel free to kind of say, hey, here's, here's what helps or what I'm trying to see or ask questions and things like that. Um, at, at the same time, I, I also sent out an email saying that I want to be fair and deal with primary sources. And so if there's something that you specifically want me to interact with, feel free to sh you know, send me a link, preferably not too long. Please don't like, hey, can you read this book by Saturday and let me know what you think about it? Or, you know, here's an eight hour conference. I, you know, I do sleep. And, uh, <laughs> and so shorter is, is sometimes uh, more helpful. And then at the same time, I'll try to, uh, in, in uh, preparation for each week, maybe send out a few links if you want to listen, watch, or, or read uh, so that you can see what I'm interacting with. I feel like that's fair. But like I said today, really more of just uh, an introduction. And uh, I'll try to give a brief history, both of my personal uh, history and experience with the movement as well as a sketch uh, of the history uh, of Pastor Wilson and Christ Church, uh, which is in Moscow, Idaho. They pronounce it Moscow, not Moscow. Moscow's in Russia. Moscow is in Idaho, evidently. They're spelled the same. Um, but, uh, and, and this has sort of become the central hub of, of the movement. And so I'll just call it that. Um, and I'd like to try today to identify what I think is some of the appeal uh, to this movement and, and to those, you know, to him and his teachings and those in that circle. And then uh, very, very briefly, just try to share uh, some of why I'm concerned and a little bit of a roadmap uh, for the weeks ahead. So that's kind of the plan for today. Um, Questions of clarity at that point before I kind of jump into a little bit of my own personal history. Mr. Brown. Have any of the old churches that? Uh, I definitely think there might be some pastors or groups within the, might, might be more sympathetic. Um, maybe. So, but would, if so, would be minority. Maybe. So I, I don't know, I don't know personally any, but it wouldn't shock me if that's a fair way. So, okay. All right, so let me start with my own personal history. I first discovered uh, Pastor Wilson in the 90s. Uh, for some of you, that was the decade before the 2000s. Um, 
some of my friends were reading some of his books. Uh, I think I started with his book on marriage called Reforming Marriage. Um, and it was refreshing, I, you know, because it presented this sort of unabashed uh, vision for marriage that was complementarian. Uh, you guys know what complementarian is? Men, women are different, and they're meant to work together, right? And rather than there, there's no difference between the two, and it's free for all. And and you know that that egalitarian idea that there's no male leadership and things like that was really kind of gaining a lot of steam in the '90s. And there came this book that said, "No, that's no, that's not that's not what marriage is." And it was like, "Wow, this is refreshing. And this is helpful." Um, it. It didn't, you know, it said, you know, these differences between men and women aren't just cultural carryovers from early cultures. This is this is God's created intended purpose and his design. And, and it presented this idea of, of men being spiritual leaders in their homes that was like, wow, this is great. And, and I'll explain a little bit more in, in a few minutes on, on why that was so refreshing. Um, and really kind of this bold vision that if husbands, if, if fathers would actually just get serious and do their job, then, and, and if women would stop fighting and just submit, then the home would become this, this place of peace and this catalyst for change in the church and in the world. And it's like, wow, can you imagine Right. And, and it was exciting. Uh, and so he was editing this magazine at the time called Credenda Agenda. So I subscribed to that. Now, remember, blogs didn't exist at this time. Uh, magazines were the closest thing there was to blogs. Uh, and Credenda Agenda was written to engage society and the family and the church. And um, I used to jokingly call it Credenda Offenda because it was really blunt and, and really in your face. And uh, in, in an age when like political correctness was gaining steam and things like that, it was like, oh, wow, somebody who's willing to just say it as it is. And finally, somebody is punching back and um, kind of really resonated. So that's um, mid to late 90s. Now, a little bit of background that might explain why this resonated so much is as I grew up in a large, uh, kind of generic, evangelical megachurch. And there's a lot of good things I can say about the church that I grew up in. I, the gospel was present. Um, it was preached. I was saved there. Um, the Bible was championed as God's word, and I'm grateful that for that. They always told us to be like the Bereans and challenge everything with God's word, uh, which was probably what finally led me out of that church. But it was a great, uh, wonderful um, paradigm for life, right? Um, my, my, my pastors would regularly say, don't take my word for it. Challenge everything with the word of God, which, which there is, that's great advice. That is phenomenal advice. Um, so... Uh, but my, my church was, was quite large. Um, I, I mean, like in the thousands in, in a day where that was really uncommon and, uh, it was driven by success. It was driven by numbers. It was driven by what worked. Um, and, and, and in that there simply weren't many men in the church that really seemed dedicated. Um, I need to qualify that a little bit. You know, we, 
we had all male pastors. All, all the pastors were men. Um, and, uh, but the families in the church, you know, uh, there, there were a few men who were really dedicated, godly uh, leaders, but they seemed to be in the real minority. Um, so many of my friends' dads and, and the men that I knew in the church, like whenever you tried to talk about spiritual things, they just kind of looked at you like a, like a deer caught in the headlines, like, like I'm just here to like turn my brain off, you know, and my, my, my wife wants to be here, but I, what are you talking about? And I was just hungry. I just want to talk about God. And I, I want, my dad wasn't a Christian. I wanted, I wanted male leadership, godly examples. It's like, what does it mean to be a Christian man? Teach me, please. I'm hungry. And, um, and so it was really even the culture of the church was really driven by the women who were dedicated, uh, for which I'm very, you know, grateful on so many levels. And, you know, my mom is the one who took me there. I'm so grateful. But there was sort of this void of godly men. And it, it was felt. And that shaped, uh, uh, I'm going to shock everyone here, but men and women are different, and they each bring different gifts to the table. Okay. All right, no fruit, no vegetables being thrown at me yet. But yeah, it's true. And, and so what, what happened in that was there was sort of this lack of the gifts that the men could be bringing. And it was felt. Um, and, and so the things that Wilson, Wilson talked about really resonated. And um, I was looking for a, a, an idea, a vision of Christianity where men would take their call to lead their families seriously. Um, now, on the one hand, he came off as a bit brash and, uh, and proud, but he could also be uh, wonderfully winsome. He could be self-deprecating. He had all these turns of phrases that were hilarious. You know, he'd always say things like, yeah, yeah I know, it's like ready, aim. It's like ready, fire, aim, right? And, uh, you know, they just rolled off the tongue and, you know, it was just, you know, easy. But as time went on, especially during my time in seminary, I started having some concerns. Um, and I hesitate to get into those too much right now because they're going to certainly come out in, in the weeks ahead. But maybe for now, I'll just say a, a, a few things or try to set it up. Um, all of us in the church are trying to answer certain questions. Uh, questions like, who is God? Um, and how has he revealed himself? Uh, what does he require? What does he promise? Uh, what are the goals uh, of us as Christians? What are his goals for us as a church? Uh, and what are his plans for the future? We're all asking questions like this. We, we, we articulate them in different ways, but we're all wrestling with those kinds of questions. We're trying to fit it all together, right? Um, in fact, our, our catechism wonderfully says, you know, what do the scriptures principally teach? What man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man, right? This is like, we understand this is what we're trying to fit together. And if you put all those questions together, what we're really asking is this. How do heaven and earth relate, right? Um, 
Where do they touch? And, 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 and where is the kingdom of God experienced in this life? If, 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 if we're here and God's there and, 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 and that's what matters, right? How do we connect? How do we bring these two together? When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? These are the things that we're trying to wrestle with. What does my Father who art in heaven require of me who art on earth, right? Um, and, and so everything we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead are going to be about these questions in one way or another. Um, and so Pastor Wilson uh, and this movement to which he is attached, they represent a system, a way of thinking about those questions uh, and what they believe the answers are. Uh, in other words, it's more than simply practical advice. It's connected to a way of thinking. And um, we have some very big differences on those answers. That doesn't mean we disagree on everything. Uh, that That's not the case at all. But there are uh, and, and so there might be plenty of places where we find agreement or we might do similar things maybe, but for different reasons sometimes. Um, but there are some foundational differences, some fundamental disagreements um, about what the kingdom of God looks like in this life. And we have, and so we have different understandings uh, about covenant theology and how uh, obedience operates in the new covenant. And so we're going to tie into some of the things Pastor Isaac's been teaching. We have some fundamental differences about the nature of the church and what membership of our children uh, does and, and doesn't mean. Uh, we have some fundamental differences on what leadership looks like in marriage. Not that there should be, but what that looks like and what the model and the pattern is. Uh, we have we have some fundamental differences on what the goal of the church is. Uh, and we have some fundamental differences on what Christians should expect in this world prior to the return of Jesus. And these are all, all related. Uh, so that's my history. Um, what about his? <laughs> right. Um, who is Doug Wilson? Uh, what is Christ Church Moscow, where he pastors? And what is the CREC, the Communion of Evangelical, uh, Reformed and Evangelical Churches, uh, uh, that his church is a part of that he helped start? Um, so let me do my best to paint a brief history. Uh, I'll do the best I can. I apologize for any details I get wrong, but I do think they'll be minor, um, just on timing and things like that. Um, Pastor Wilson grew up as the son of a pastor in, in an American evangelical church, like a lot of us uh, grew up in. Uh, he went into ministry and um, became the pastor uh, of, of a church in Moscow, Idaho. I don't know what the name of the church was at the time. I think it's the same church he's still a part of. And at some point, uh, either in the 80s, maybe the early 90s, he was exposed to post-millennialism. Anybody know what post-millennialism is? Uh, Tennyson's dad? Yeah. Uh, post-millennialism is one of the historic views of the end times. It uh, is sort of an outgrowth or a bedfellow with all millennialism uh, with, with, with regard to 
the thousand years is what how we should understand that. The difference is is that all millennialism um, would say that history is cyclical, that it doesn't necessarily need to end on a beat. <laughs> Post millennialism would say that it it does necessarily need to end on a beat because Christ is reigning right now and he says that all enemies will be put under his feet. He means that so we can expect for um, the church to grow and to be victorious before Christ returns. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary, um, and, and 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 that's really what we're going to dive into next week because I think that's it's really the the, the fundamental uh, glue that holds things together. Yeah, um, uh, for for both of you at home. Um, uh, so so post millennialism, millennialism, the different views: premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, are attempts to to deal with the thousand-year reign of Christ in Revelation 20, the millennium. And what does it look like and when does it come? And specifically, they're each trying to answer, when will the church experience the glory of the kingdom of Christ? Um, So premillennialism says uh, pre, Jesus will return pre, before that, and then there will be a thousand years of glory on earth. Um. Postmillennialism says uh, Jesus will return after a thousand years or a, a long time of earthly glory, peace, prosperity, righteousness on the earth where Satan will have very little or no influence. Amillennialism says the glory will not be experienced on this earth. The, the kingdom will grow invisibly, powerfully, but invisibly. And then the end will come and the glory will be experienced in, in the next life, in, in, in the new creation. Those, that's the differences. Very briefly. Charlie. Yeah, so dispensationalism would say it's also about what the church looks like mm-hmm. at, at the end. Yep. Dispensationalism would say the church is more like uh, Israel in slavery, being persecuted and put to death and looking like they're losing before Christ returns. All millennialism would say the church looks like the church of exile. Absolutely. Look at the look at Israel in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Joshua. Yep. 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 Absolutely. When does the conquest take place? Yep. Yep. And how do we get there? These are the differences. And so he was experienced to this this vision of of of, uh, of earth, the church, culture, and politics getting better and better. Some some see that as cataclysmic. Some see it as progressive. There's differences there. We're not going to get it. But this this vision of the future where the, you'll struggle to find a non Christian um, and, and somebody who's living you know in, in rebellion and sin and things like that. Um, Churches will be everywhere. They'll be solid and and, and whatnot. Um, and so he was exposed to that, and, and it really resonated with him. And um, uh, it, that idea where where Christians would really take the seat of leadership um, and, and power in the world. Uh, they lead culturally. They lead politically. Uh, they lead educationally, uh, and so on. And like I said, the plan is to talk more about that next week. 
But as that vision captivated him, it, it was through this that he ended up later being exposed to some more Calvinistic ideas, predestination and things like that, and came to embrace them. Um, and his theological changes then affected his church through his preaching and things like that. And as they came to embrace these Calvinistic uh, ideas and convictions, uh, they would try to figure out what to do. Um, but they, as he tells it, coming out of this kind of more broad, uh, even um, uh, more charismatic-ish type background, um, didn't, they felt messy and like they didn't know really where they would belong in the Reformed world. Uh, and in fact, the way he tells it, they, were, they thought they were too messy and really wouldn't be uh, accepted anywhere. And, and I think that's sad because I think at that point, it would have been wonderful to come alongside of those who had been doing that for decades and, and be um, mentored and helped. Uh, it would have been, I think, really good at that, at that point. Um, but instead, they joined with two other uh, independent churches, kind of formed this little coalition, and eventually other churches sought to join and, and then uh, eventually was birthed this uh, uh, kind of non-denomination denomination. They called it a confederation because it was looser than a denomination, um, but tighter than an alliance or something. And so they called it the Confederation of Reformed Evangelical Churches, uh, which uh, was then changed around 2011 to the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. They could change the name without changing the initials, which worked really well. Uh, and they, in, within it, they gave a lot of latitude uh, uh, about beliefs. And so at least initially, I think there were five different confessional standards that you could subscribe to any one of them to be a part of it. In other words, uh, you could have the London Baptist uh, Confession of 1689 if you were Reformed Baptist, or you could have the Westminster Confession of Faith if, if you were more Presbyterian by conviction. And so there were these different ones, and it was like, as long as you could subscribe to one of these, you can be a part uh, of this group. Um, and so that, that latitude was intentional. They kind of wanted it to be more broad. Uh, they would, you know, big tented. And, but they published a number of memorials. They call them memorials. They're part of their, con the, their constitution. And these were the things that united them. Um, so they had one on ministerial training, pretty benign. They just said it's preferable for ministers to be trained in a local church than in a seminary, but a seminary is acceptable. Um, there was one to go about how to revise confessions that you, um, that it's kind of this organic view that, you know, once, once all the churches don't believe anything anymore, you, you revise it. That might be a little bit, but it's just this, it should be not just this kind of like stick in the mud, uh, stake in the sand, but it should take time. Then there was one on Christian education. Um, and it rejected public schools as a valid option uh, for Christians stating the necessity of Christians to educate their children uh, either at home or in a Christian school. Uh, and so any, anybody who wanted to be an elder or a deacon or a pastor could not send their kids to public schools. Uh, you won't necessarily lose membership, but would be coached and trained. Um, 
we'll come you know back to these things uh, in the weeks ahead. There's one on the days of creation requiring a 24-hour view of the days of creation. There's one about uh, 9/11 and the need for a military response to terrorism, uh, so long as women aren't involved in combat. And then an explanation to the government on how they can address terrorism, uh, bowing to the true God in so doing, and things like that. And then there are memorials on homosexuality, weekly worship, and abortion. Um, so why do I go into all of this? This is what unites the different groups that fit within the CREC. Um, so theologically, it's a big tent. You can have different views on sacraments. Uh, you can baptize babies or not baptize babies. You can have uh, different views on worship and so on. But more politically and culturally, uh, it's a much smaller tent. These are the things that, that unite. Um, and so it's more defined then uh, by how you educate your children than on whether or not you baptize your children. It's more united on what you do with terrorists than, than on how you exercise church discipline. Um, that's kind of the, the ethos, the, the culture of, of what, what binds it together. And so if you go to their website, uh, their news and their events, uh, there's just a lot of political commentary, letters to judges, letters to congressmen, things like that, statements on, on, on political decisions and things like that. And so you see kind of this is, this, is, this is what the culture of the group, this is what binds, and you'll, you'll see that. Um, so that's the CREC. Now I should state uh, that the church that Jen and I were married in uh, was one of the earliest members of the CREC. Um, they, they left a few years later. There was disillusionment. They saw kind of behind the curtain, uh, and, and they are now part of the URC, the United Reformed Churches that came out of the CRC, uh, Christian Reformed Churches in uh, the mid-'90s. Um, but I've got background there, there in the early days. It's not, yeah, super, uh, not a distant <laughs> issue, if, if I put it that way. Uh, it was there at the beginning um, and saw a lot of that. So around 2002, um, Pastor Wilson uh, and a number of other pastors held a conference down at Auburn Avenue Presbyterian Church. It's a PCA in Monroe, Louisiana. And each presented a lecture toward what they called the federal vision. Um, uh, federal coming from the Latin foetus, meaning covenant. So this was the, their covenantal vision. Uh, these lectures were subsequently published in a book by that title. I addressed those uh, lectures and issues many years ago when it was all kind of undergoing everything. It's on our website. Um, I can't remember what the series was called. It's something like Introduction to Covenant Theology, maybe, or, or something. I can look it up if you're interested. Um, most Reformed denominations, ours included and a number of others, made statements about those teachings uh, and the dangers of the federal vision. Um, 
Wilson responded to our statement. I sent out a link to his response this week. Uh, time doesn't allow me to get into the nitty-gritty, but I think it's a helpful read because as you read it, um, there's a number of times where he just says, you know, no, that's not true, um, but doesn't really explain how. Uh, and then there's another times where he says, no, I believe in the Westminster Confession of Faith, so long as you don't mean this, and then he goes on to basically say exactly what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. Uh, and we'll look into some of those things, like when we get to the church, when we get to baptismal regeneration, um, uh, covenant theology. It's like, yeah, I believe in the covenant of works as long as you understand it as gracious. And like, you know, things like that. And you're like, well, that's the problem. Um, and, and, and so I, I wanted you to see that, that firsthand. Uh, and I think that's sometimes a recurring problem, these these clarifications don't that don't actually bring clarity. Um, several years later, uh, in 2017, uh, Pastor Wilson wrote a blog post called Federal Vision No Moss. I sent a link out to that as well this week. Um, and in it, uh, he, he says that he no longer considers himself Federal Vision. He wants to put some distance between him and that movement. And... Uh, in it, he says that the problem was that for years he had tried to kind of shoehorn himself into fitting under the uh, Federal Vision umbrella because it's where his friends were. Uh, but he has since come to realize that he never really fit. And he gives this analogy. He says, it's like when I became a Calvinist. He's like, for years I tried to convince myself I wasn't until I finally said, but everything I believe is Calvinistic, so I guess I am. I need to stop rejecting the, the, the label. He says, it's the opposite. Like, for years I tried to convince myself I was Federal Vision, but I realized I never really was. And so uh, I, I, I need to just admit that is what he says. And, and he says, um, this represents no change in my friendships or, denomination, or, or personal commitments or denominational relationships. I'm not changing any of my teachings. I'm not repenting for anything I've taught. Instead, what he says is, he does say, though I am sorry, I was overly critical of some of the critics. And I just lumped all the critics together, and that was wrong. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. In fact, some of the critics' concerns, I think, were valid. Not sure what those are, but, but he does apologize for the vehemence with which he responded to people who had concerns with the federal vision. Um, so he says, I was wrong to treat all critics as though they were all more or less in the same boat. And he says he should have acknowledged um, some problems um, uh, that they had with some of the other federal vision authors. So all that to say is that in that shift in 2017 wasn't a doctrinal shift, um, but as he puts it, one of labels and, and fixing labels. Um, and so uh, that happened in 2017. Uh, I, I bring that up because um, I don't want to get into the weeds of the federal vision, but at the same time, I do want to make it clear that, that there was no marked doctrinal change at that point, according to him. He's basically saying, everything I've taught, uh, I, I still believe, I just don't think that federal vision is the right label. So that's, that's what happened. Um, now, prior to that, you know, after 2006 or so, when, when most of the Reformed denominations made responses to the federal vision, 
and things uh, and those teachings, things kind of quieted down. I didn't really hear about him much. Um, and then in the last few years, suddenly he seems to be everywhere again. And so that's why I think it's wise to just maybe take a few weeks, talk about the movement uh, that he, he sort of represents. He's uh, not the only one by, by any means, but maybe the most visible and well-known. Um, and I, I won't limit my, my, you know, links and things like that. The only what he, he says, but, you know, others in that sphere as well. Um, again, I think I understand the appeal. Um, the things he focuses on can be very appealing. Uh, a way to parent that would produce godly, educated, and productive children who wouldn't want that, right? Like, I don't, uh, a model for the home that lets men be men and women be women. Again, who doesn't want something like that, right? Um, a straight shooter in a world of, um, you know, passivity. And it's like, yeah, I, in political doublespeak, I, I get, I get the appeal, right? Um, and a view of the future. <laughs> that promises a transformed society where uh, Christians don't have to suffer anymore, where God is central and, and the leaders in government are, are leading the age of, of peace and, and prosperity. <laughs> Sign me up, right? That um, sounds good. Like, I, I get the appeal. So what can my problem possibly be, Right? Uh, if that's what he stands for, well, that's what the next four weeks are going to be about. But but to put it simply, um, I don't believe that the views, the promises, and the expectations set are biblical. And that's the problem. Um, and, and when you have expectations that aren't set by God, um, and then those expectations aren't met. The consequences can be devastating. Um, and I believe that leaves families devastated. I, I think there's a form of godliness, but a denial of its power. And, and I believe that the view of leadership promoted for husbands lacks... Um, a biblical understanding of, of humility and, and brokenness and servitude that I think we need. Uh, and so simply put, I might agree with the concerns, but the remedy is different. Um, because at the end of the day, if I could really put it this way, I don't believe that it's patterned after the cross. Um, which is fundamental to the Christian identity and the Christian life. And my hope, if you can be patient with me, is to explain why I believe those things uh, in, the, in the few weeks ahead. And so, like I said, next week, my goal is to look at uh, the kingdom of God in this world and what it looks like uh, and address the postmillennialism that first brought him uh, to a lot of these convictions and, and has driven that. Um, if you want, you can listen to some recent defenses he and a pastor on his staff uh, his church um, have given. I'll send out those links uh, this week. Uh, actually, one of them is by uh, Toby Sumter, and I'm pretty good friends with his dad. And so, you know, this isn't 
you know, problems is just, uh, you know, uh, these on staff there, they, they can give their, their biblical defenses and we can interact with those. I think that would be more helpful. Uh, after that, we'll look at it, uh, some of the thoughts on marriage, uh, some areas of agreement and some areas of disagreement and some concerns. Uh, and the week after that, Lord willing, uh, parenting um, and education and things like that. And then in the final week, my plan will be to address uh, the, the dangers of discipleship in an age of internet. Um, I think there's an appeal to seeking help from, if I can put it bluntly, curated experts. Um, and in a sense, that's not a new temptation. You know, Paul dealt with, you know, the super apostles. Well, they say this, you know, uh, and, but I think the Bible presents a very different view of discipleship um, that's scary and it's more relational and it involves people in your own congregation. And I might even be able to defend that from the Bible. Uh, but I know it's scary and we'll talk about why but why I think God calls us to it. So that's the plan. That's the plan um, for the weeks ahead. I, I, I uh, ask for your patience, uh, whether, whether you find more affinity with Pastor Wilson or you're just wondering why in the world we're spending time here. I ask for your patience both ways, um, but hopefully we can have some good conversation along the way. So I've got just a couple minutes uh, before Sunday school is typically done. So... Uh, if you have a, a question that I like, I'll answer it. And if you have a question I don't like, we are sorry out of time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, if you have any questions or thoughts, feel free. Uh, like I said in the email, if there's something, and uh, earlier in the lesson, like if there's something particularly you want me to try to interact with, shoot me a link. I'll try to get some time to, so that I'm not, I don't want to present a caricature or straw man. So. I see a hand waving and... Yeah, it's, it's, it's more like I'm, I'm not denying anything you're saying there, but it felt like, you know, well, it felt for, as a pastor, I had lots of people um, in 2004-ish, right? Hey, have you read Douglas and this? And what's going on with this? You know, it was like a lot of people, you know, and somewhere around 2006, seven, eight, somewhere in there, just kind of quieted down and people just stopped asking. It's not like I never heard anything, but, and then in the, and, and, and as I'm talking to other pastors, it was sort of the same for them. Not that it wasn't out there or things like that, but just kind of quieted down in our circles. And then in the last like two years or whatever, suddenly it's like, boom, boom, boom. All these questions again are popping back up similar to like 2004, 2005. And that's just experiential. That's just like anecdotally, because uh, I started seeing it. 
And okay, that's interesting. And then I, you know, you guys know I've been traveling. You know, I, I go to these meetings um, for a denomination. You know, I, I I talk to other pastors. I was just telling a few people. You know, their former pastor says hi because I, you know, I was with him. Yeah. You know, and and I, as I'm hanging out with these other pastors, uh, I'm just hearing the same things. And so um, that's all. Yeah, Michelle. Do you feel like it could be generational? Like in 2004, 5, 6, we're trying to figure out this whole new marriage and parenting thing. And obviously our church is having a lot of new babies now. And so maybe the next generation is. I mean, in a sense, yes, but our church has kind of always had a lot of new babies. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I think we are prone to see things generationally, like my parents, you know, my kids, but there's, you know, every year has like, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, I, I, I think there might be more to it than that, but I don't know. Yeah. She was just asking if it, just that there's a lot of new kids, a lot of people are asking you, how do you parent and things like that? Maybe, but um, like I said, we. A lot, a lot of that, just to add on to that, uh, technology, a lot of that being spread through that. There's a lot of chances that Yeah. Yeah, I think like in the world, in the age of internet, I mean, um, uh, you know, I, I think things change in the way we think, right? You know, we just search things that we don't know. Uh, Jen and I love watching this. There's this homestead show that we love watching with this rugged, you know, Alaskan family that go in, they help homesteaders do stuff. And uh, there was one of my favorite episodes is, you know, he's talking to this young guy and he's like, where'd you earn this? He said, and he kept saying YouTube. And at one point he's like, if you say YouTube one more time, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, that's how we think now, right? Like, oh, I don't know how to do something. I YouTube it. Uh, I don't know how to raise parents. I YouTube it, you know? And I do think that, that there's, that's kind of, there is that, but every generation has, you know, there was magazines, you know, uh, in my day, um, you know, things like that. Uh, you whipping her, snapping her kids. Um, no, but like, but I do think there is an incredible media savvy through social media and blogs and things like that. And it's very easy to share and, and, and spread and things like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, I mean, that's just kind of the world we live in, right? Absolutely. I'm going to, uh, one or two more, and then we are at time. So, Sarah. Go for the jugular, right? Uh, yeah. Sorry, this is one of those questions that we're out of time for. Um, we're going to get into this next week. Um, because of, of the way he defines the gospel and things like that. Um, I, if you want the short answer, and come back for the reasons why. No, I think he's very dangerous. 
Um, again, that doesn't mean everything he says is wrong. And sometimes that's even worse, right? Because when something makes sense and works, you, you're more likely to accept other things that are said without, right? So, but um, pastorally, yeah, I see the consequences 15 years down the road with families who buy into the system and then don't have a grid when, when, the, when the expectations aren't met and things like that. So that, that's a sh- short answer. Casanova is the last one. And then, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what that's what we're going to talk about the last week. And 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 again, that's not unique. That's every generation. Every generation. Uh, I, I, I'm out of time, but every generation looks at the previous one and says, "Why didn't you guys do anything? Um, we're going to fix things." And then they realize life's a little bit harder than they expected. And then their kids are like, why didn't you do anything and fix things? We're going to do something. I mean, that's just, that's like, as that's a tale as old as time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's the, absolutely. 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 There's always that appeal. Hands down. And so we'll get into that in the final week. Um, so I am going to cut off, uh, things at this point because we have gone over and pray and then we'll get ready for worship. Our gracious God, you are good always. And we thank you and we love you. Father, we ask that you uh, would bless the study. May you grant us, uh, your grace, uh, your wisdom, your patience. May you grant us the ability, uh, to rest in you completely. We ask. In Jesus' name, amen.